This speech is my recital. I think it's very vital to rock around. That's right. On time. It's tricky. It's so tight. Here we go. It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right. On time. It's tricky. Welcome again to the Southwest Climate Podcast, the Monsoon Edition 2023. Mike Crimmins. Zach, how you doing? I'm okay. I have a smile on my face because you do. I know. Given this monsoon season, man, we're we're a little too chipper. This is like the best day of my month. Like I get to do not much, but look at monsoon stats and chat with you about it, learn some things, figure out what the heck's going on. So give me a word or a couple words, no sentences, no paragraphs, definitely not a monologue of how you're feeling about the monsoon. Uh, yep. Funky. Funky. <laughs> uh, surreal. I, I, it's trippy. Ooh. It's hard. It's hard to. Tricky is a tri- good one. Yeah. I'm having trouble getting my head around what's going on here. Cause it, it's okay. been, yeah, it's been weird. Sorry. Cause you just took the words out of my mouth. My word, yeah. which I, you know, I didn't, I didn't tell you to think about this beforehand, but I, but I thought about it all morning came up with puzzling. Yeah. So I think we're on yeah. the same page. Yeah. It's a puzzling monsoon. It is a puzzling monsoon. Yeah. Um, and I think that is both a good thing and a bad thing, which we'll talk about going forward. So what we want to do, it is um, early August, uh, actually August 1st. We'll hope to get this pod out within the next couple of days. Things can change, but probably not markedly so, even if we were to delay a couple of days. We are, Mike, a good month into the monsoon season, and we've got a lot to talk about, a lot of interesting things. As always, the monsoon doesn't disappoint. Um, It is not like last year or the year before, but it is nonetheless very interesting. We have a couple couple interesting questions that I think we should we should dig into. First one, maybe not in uh, in any particular order, but a very prominent and national story is heat. It's uh you know, the Southwest has been I think largely uh, widely covered as uh the epicenter in the US at least of, of heat, although there are a few other places. So heat and what's driving heat, um, because that is a important signature of this monsoon season. So that's one thing. You know, has it been a really bad monsoon? Has it been 2020? You know, do we have? I'm curious. I, I, I don't have an answer to this, but I am curious, Mike. I'll just pepper you with it. Um, you know, if, if, if we have a monsoon analog um, for this year so far. And then... You know, we have a very weird El Nino going on. And so El Nino, is, I, I think, is part of this heat story and part of this monsoon story. It's also part of our, uh, you know, second half of the monsoon going forward and obviously our our, our winter. So uh, a lot of things to talk about. Anything else I miss, Mike, that you want to cover or, you know, that'll that'll probably take us um, for another three hours. Yeah, I mean, those are a ton of really good unanswerable questions that you asked. So should be a, should be a short podcast. Yeah, 
Fantastic. We just lost our seven listeners. <laughs> well, at least people can they can sign off early and go go get some grocery shopping done or something. Southwest podcast where you get no definitive answers. <laughs> Sorry. Brought to you since 2011. All right. So let's let's start with let's start with where we are, Mike, in terms of rainfall and 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 temperature. Okay, so just a little recap, Mike. Um, the monsoon came in late. Um, if we were to use the old dew point definition of the monsoon, you know, in Tucson, that would have started on July 8th, I believe. But we really didn't get rainfall in Tucson until, what, the 15th or the 16th. Uh, and that's at the airport. Uh, but largely... Largely, that holds for broader um, metropolitan and surrounding areas as as well. So the monsoon came in late, and by and large, it's underdelivered almost everywhere you look. Interestingly, Tucson has scraped out probably one of the one of the the more <laughs> optimistic pictures in the southwest. Oh my gosh! I, Talk about a buzzer beater! Holy moly! So Tucson, um, you know, we actually had, I believe, three quarters of an inch on the last day of uh, of, of July that brought the total up the airport up to up to two inches, and and you know it gets a little over that. So we're, you know, we're seventy five percent of average or something like that at Tucson, and and that's like an optimistic picture. So you have a database of a number of, I think, co-op stations and other uh, stations around Arizona, New Mexico, 104 of them to be exact. And only four of them, Mike, have actually above average precipitation. So this is a widespread, very dry, very dry picture for uh, Arizona and New Mexico. Rainfall is one thing. Temperature is another thing. Um, and temperature, boy, uh, the temperature story across the Southwest, we've got average temperatures are on the order of like eight degrees, seven, six to eight degrees above average for July, almost uh, writ large across Arizona and, and New Mexico. You can look at average temperatures, you can look at the average of the highs or the average of the lows, same story. The rankings, you know, if you convert those anomalies into, uh, or or just look at the rankings, I'm looking at an image right now from Climate Perspectives. You know, it has probably 30 different um, stations across Arizona, New Mexico. There, are, I would say, 90% of them, 90, 85% of them are are, are are the number one ranking. Uh, there's one three, a third ranking, and you know, five or six second warmest on. On record, so we've had a dry and a hot start to the monsoon season, and you know you can look at a number of different monsoon indices. We want to look at lightning, lightning strikes. So compare lightning strikes that have happened in the monsoon season to, to average, and we're running near the near the bottom. I, uh, dew points, dew points in Tucson, like. Precip have been probably the best out of uh, the dew points that I looked at for the ma major cities. Like um, they've been 
for Tucson, you know, the last couple of weeks have been right around average, but before that they were below for Phoenix, it's below uh, Flagstaff, it's below so that the amount of precipitable water moisture in the atmosphere hasn't been there as well. Yeah. And if you, you, you just sort of get a spatial footprint of rainfall there, like I said, there's very few places that are even close to average and, 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 and above. So it's a, it's not a great start. Let me just throw out a, a couple other statistics in terms of temperature because they're 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 quite eye popping. So looking at Phoenix, you know, Phoenix of course is the epicenter of the of the heat here in the Southwest. It also, you know, pulls in a, you know, an urban heat island effect. But nonetheless, July was its hottest month on record. It, uh, the average temperature in Phoenix in July was a hundred and two point seven. So that's the average of both highs and lows. Like those are your daily averages. So that's that's pretty obscene. And I, what's also obscene is that it broke the previous monthly maximum, which occurred in August of 2020. It broke it by by a little bit more than three and a half degrees. So it didn't break it. It didn't. It shattered it. So that's pretty. Um, uh, like I said, eye popping. Okay. So there were 30. This is. This has generated quite a bit of uh, headlines. Uh, Phoenix had 31 straight days of temperatures, maximum temperatures that were 110 or, or greater. I think yesterday <laughs> it came in at 108, snapping that that record. 17 days in July were greater than 115, breaking its previous record of of six days in 2020. So, so yeah, go Phoenix. Um, and like I said you know, for Tucson and, and around the Southwest, for that matter, Arizona, New Mexico, uh, a lot of the st uh, stations are are reporting the, the warmest July on, on, on record. So, so there you have it, Mike, give us the, what the heck happened synoptically regionally, like with the, with the dynamics that the atmosphere, why um, we, we sort of found ourselves in a, uh, in an unfavorable monsoon, but nonetheless, one that has brought many, many exciting statistics to talk about. It's been kind of bonkers, hasn't it? I mean, okay, so we begrudgingly looked at the Climate Prediction Center outlooks, and even prior to that, looking at the dynamical seasonal forecast models back in May, and even into early June, and there was an indication that the monsoon subtropical high, which is that progression of the high pressure system that moves from Mexico into the Southwest and up to the four corners, progresses from June into July, that the models were indicating that that would be delayed or weakened or suppressed, or may even just sort of kind of park overhead. And if you remember, it's hard to remember, but early June was actually cooler than average across the Southwest. No, I remember that. that. It was like, it was <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, like it didn't feel like July, it didn't feel like June at all. And then because we had that trough off to the northwest of us, right? So that was what actually lingered uh, through the winter and into the spring and brought us kind of cooler than wetter, wetter conditions. Okay, all that stuff was at play, gave us a little bit of like concern that this kind of pattern might form. And that's exactly what happened. The models were spot on with the ridge basically parking south of where it should be and south of where it should be again we use it kind of colloquially as calling it the four corners high 
its optimal position is that that ridge in the mid-levels atmosphere is parked over that. And so if you can envision that, that that's like the peak of a hill, and for, in every direction, north, south, east, and west, you go downhill from the peak of that. And the temperatures also go downhill from that peak too. So instead, that ridge has been parked over sort of central Arizona, between the border between Arizona and New Mexico, over, over southern Arizona. And it's constantly had pressure from the north, from low pressure systems kind of moving across through the northern tier states and, and into the upper Midwest. That's not great for the, the monsoon um, ridge, right? Because we need to have that ridge move north. Um, we need to then have underneath that ridge have the easterly waves, the tropical moisture, the storm systems that will induce gulf surges up the gulf and will produce the rainfall across Mexico as well, which is part of the moisture source that comes in southwest. Haven't had any of that for the most part, most of the season so far. It's been weird to see the the Tucson dew point definition come online, uh, you know, only four days later than climatology, and it's bumped around here in Tucson about 60 degrees Fahrenheit, which is very, very mediocre. We almost broke the record of the latest rainfall recorded at the airport in July. It came in just after the 15th, 16th, 17th, or 18th, I can't remember, but it had pushed past the 20th or 21st of the latest on record, so we just kind of nipped that in the bud. So we've had a couple of weeks here in Tucson anyways, where it has actually rained at or near my house almost every day, but just not very much. So it's been just odd, right? So across the Southwest, most of the precipitation is a, has occurred along the Southeast part of the state and in the Southwest parts of New Mexico, and it's been almost non-existent as you've gone North. Phoenix and the Eastern part of the city has caught a little bit of precip couple of local one inch amounts. Flagstaff has had almost three quarters of an inch, but is in its you know lowest rankings of July precipitation. And Albuquerque has had yet to record precipitation. So all that together, you know, not seeing deep moisture coming in from some deep gulf surges, poor position of the high pressure system, really weak activity in, in Mexico has kind of left us with us baking underneath this ridge. And lots of sunny, sunny days all the way up until the afternoon um, to when the clouds actually form. So that's just the recipe for low precipitation, hot temperatures. Yeah. So a couple of things in there that I think is important. So, you know, we always talk about the position of the of the ridge being, you know, a fundamental driver of uh rainfall in the in the in the southwest. But what so you mentioned the sort of low pressure systems that have more or less been wafting wafting through to our north that have prevented the migration of that ridge for the most part i mean there's been some movement around it but has has helped prevent it from setting up in a more favorable position that allows us to have easterly flow and moisture incursions from from the south so that's one thing I want to unpack that a little bit and like maybe maybe think about like can we say anything about why that might be occurring? And then the other part to this is the heat question of it. So so while that ridge has been suppressed to our south and it's been more sort of overhead of let's say southern Arizona that has allowed for more heat to to generate and to more stagnant air in this area 
build on each other. But I guess the question that I'm grappling with is that's not itself an uncommon situation. Like we had that in 2022, but we also, sorry, 2020, but we also, at least as, as I recall it, but we also didn't see the extent of the um, heat records that we're seeing seeing this year. So it seems like that heat dome has been a little bit, as as it's being called, um, is being a little bit amplified more so this year than we've seen in, in, in the past. So any thoughts on on maybe why the, um, the, the, the ridge has been elevated leading to uh, higher temperatures or why maybe that the low pressure systems to the north have been common enough that have prevented the um, the migration north of the ridge? Yeah, I, this is going to take a little bit of probably unpacking over the next couple of years to try to unwind all the tangles of what's potentially causing situations. So the there's been a wave train across the North Pacific, mid-latitudes of the Pacific for several months now. And it's it's not super clear if so this is also where we got to try to start thinking about the El Nino as well. Is some of this pattern is actually pre the kind of El Nino coming online, so it probably isn't isn't the causal mechanism. But some of the pattern is also consistent with you when you look at the correlations of El Nino conditions in June and July, and so meaning that there is typically a weaker subtropical ridge, and there's um, some troughiness or low pressure systems off to the north west and to the northeast of the subtropical ridge. And we see that historically in correlation patterns, it's in research as well, kind of published research that when you have El Nino conditions coming along online in the spring, you can have a delayed start to the monsoon. And one of the analogs that I was looking at kind of coming into this monsoon was June of July of 1997. And it's not all that unlike um, the pattern that emerged there. And it was really very dry not quite as hot as it has been this particular year. So, um, so El Nino possibly its its atmospheric response may be part of this story. It it could be. Yeah, there's there's some other interesting banter kind of out on the web and social media. Um, I think you and I both follow Eric Webb, uh, Weber Weather, uh, and and Twitter. And he's had some really interesting posts. Uh, he was noting that. There's a sea surface temperature pattern across the Atlantic called the Atlantic Meridional Mode and one called the Pacific Meridional Mode, which we've actually talked about in the podcast. Can't remember what we said. Can't even really remember what the, the uh, PMM actually is or what it does. But I do know that it is it can be related to some shifts in geopotential height patterns. And so there seem to be a couple of different possible avenues here to explain the weakness in the ridge. The interesting thing, though, is is that it was forecasted in in that. So so the on a large the weakness of the ridge was forecasted. Yeah, like that. That was um, that was generally picked up in several of the forecast models, and then pointed to below average precipitation in July, right? And so and it it verified, I think, pretty well. I think the pattern looks pretty well. And what's interesting, and it's different than twenty twenty. Is, I don't know if you remember with 2020, but 2020, there was actually a trough of low pressure that kind of hung across the Western US. And that was actually what caused the subtropical ridge to 
park south of us. And it was actually decently wet across Mexico. There's a real sharp gradient from Mexico into the Southwest in that particular summer. So we were always like on the edge of it, just, just couldn't quite get the importation of moisture into the region. This year it's dry all the way, it's below average deep into Mexico um, this year. And it's also dry upstream in, in New Mexico. So there, there's this other kind of aspect too of the ridge position is that it's not super helpful to actually have a good ridge position with easterly flow if it's actually dry upstream in New Mexico and in Northern uh, Chihuahua. So, so even when the ridge kind of does move into a, a decent spot briefly, because it hasn't been in a very good spot very long, there isn't a lot of moisture to work with because it takes a little while to build that up, right? And then it can be reinforcing and can sustain itself in some aspects as well. So it's it's almost like we've been kind of pulling the cord on the lawnmower to try to get it started and it sputters and we're still doing it. And it's you gotta go problematic. Electric, I know seriously, man, just recharge this thing. It's I'm now like, so my analog was 97, July 97. And in August of 97, things reversed and the the ridge kind of moved back into a favorable position. There was a lot of East Pacific tropical storm activity that kind of fired up. There was there was good um, opportunities to drag up some some decently wet days across the Southwest in, in August of 97. The forecast for for the Southwest out through the next two weeks, it doesn't look like that yeah. is going to happen. I guess the part that I struggle with related to the fingerprint of El Nino on you know, this monsoon and the heat is, it's often not a, you don't, so the correlations that you referred to before, they're, they're very sort of weak. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're, 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 you know, explaining like, you know, 5% of the variation or, 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 or something like that. Um, yeah. So they show up, but there's a whole bunch of other things that are obviously going on that matter that we just can't, we just can't diagnose. Yeah. Um, but also like the El Nino fingerprint, like just in general, you know, tends not to be so strong in the, in the, in the summer months. I guess that's like, that could be maybe in the general and, and maybe not in the specific this year. So maybe that's not that strong, strong of a point. Um, but then the other part to this is, you know, I've read a lot of stuff where people are talking about, you know, explanations for the record temperatures and, you know, El, El Nino and, and trend, you know, the, the, the climate change signal, you know, which obviously plays, play, plays a role in this. But El Nino is, is the other thing that's brought out there. And I, I just want to point out that, like, in terms of the atmospheric response uh, to El Nino, uh, that the temperature expression from El Nino, we we tend to see that show up, you know, six, you know, four to eight months later after the El Nino comes on, on online. So, and it's usually on average, it elevates global temperature here. So not in the Southwest, but global temperature, you know, a significant amount, uh, you know, half a degree Celsius. And and so we'll we'll expect to see that you know, as we, as we move forward, but, but that's, that signal hasn't worked its way into, 
into um, you know the thermometers yet, and so that's not a real great explanation uh, for 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 what we're seeing. And it's obviously like the record temperatures here in the Southwest are very much a function of uh, that ridge position. I, I'm still a little unclear on like the ridge position has been amplified in terms of like its strength and like you know why why it's responding in the way that uh, it's responding. Like may, maybe El Nino is playing. A role, but to me, there's clearly other uh, other factors that are that are going on as well. I, I I don't know if we we can. I don't know. I don't know if you have any other possible yeah. explanations. For- no, I'm glad you're pumping the brakes a little bit on the El Nino part of it because it, it that's right. Is that this the El Nino's really come online in the last couple of months? It's come online fast. I mean, there's been a response in the Southern Oscillation Index, which is an actual atmospheric measurement of pressure differentials across the Pacific. So that it's not just the sea surface temperatures, it's actually sort of responding. But it's also, I've read, it's been quite noisy. It hasn't been, hasn't been super consistently in the negative. And I think that that's to be expected because the El Nino forcing, which is expressed through anomalous thunderstorm activity, doesn't come online until the fall and in the winter. And that's actually when you start to see a lot of the weather patterns readjust in the Northern hemisphere. So it is early. And so it, you know, what I've been reading in some of the discussions in different, you know, sort of forecasting products and forums has been that there's, you can see it, you can see El Nino in some expressions, but there's a lot of the subseasonal variability and the weather scale variability on top of it. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If it's the ex, I don't think it's the sole explanation for sure of of the what we're dealing with here in the Southwest. It could be tangled up in it through third and fourth order kind of you know connections through stuff. Well, um, but nonetheless, that... it's it's been kind of picked up you know on the models. So models don't do well with nuanced things right they tend to they tend to do well with large scale synoptic scale pattern shifts and for whatever reason it saw this synoptic scale pattern for the most part not perfectly but it then connects that synoptic scale pattern to the precip anomalies that have been observed from the southwest deep into mexico and that's shown up for the last couple of months and it it's it's still in the models for next month. I mean, it's a, this is it's a win for the models this year, and I don't often say that. <laughs> I know I was I I was like yeah, sure you know like I do every year, and and then I kept refreshing every day. I was waiting for it to kind of flip because some of these models are run every six hours out for months, and it never did. <laughs> it was so it was so consistent. I, um, I mean, there's other things going on too globally with the global climate system that bear worth mentioning and that is like the sea surface temperatures globally are are the, the bonkers the, yeah the pattern they're they're warm um not everywhere but across a lot of where <laughs> yeah a lot of where across large swaths of, of of the oceans like if you were to just you know you mentioned 97 98 el nino which is you know one of the classic super el ninos um, the sort of pattern looked like this then, which is anomalously so um, warmer than average conditions off sort of 
Peru or around the sort of uh, west coast of, of, of South America and, and the Ecuador region, extending three quarters of the way through the Pacific uh, Ocean. Uh, and then there's, you know, as you go up on, off the west coast of the, of the U.S., there was sort of warmer above average temperatures there. And as you move from, let's say, you know, Oregon, Northern California, Oregon, that sort of latitude westward toward Asia, the, the water's cool. And then it, it's sort of everywhere else, it's sort of average to slightly below average, slightly above average, right? Th those are the main expressions uh, of, I'm trying to explain a map here, which is, which, is, <laughs> which is not very hard. You know, you look at right now. So the tropical Pacific Ocean, it, the epicenter of warmth is again along the West Coast of South America, equatorial region, extending in, into Central Pacific, much like it was during the 97, 90, uh, eight uh, El Nino, but all around that is above average temperatures all the way over to Indonesia, right? And then you go up into the North Pacific and it's it's above average temperatures. The one difference here is off the off the coast of, of the US, it's below average there, which it was above average during the, the, the 97. Then go over to the Atlantic and the Atlantic looks like it's, you know, bathwater, that's not true. I'm just, I'm looking at the color of the map. It's all red over there. Um, the North Atlantic, uh, the equator and above is, is basically all, all above average with the exception of, you know, right off, um, you know, Canada and, and, and Northern US. There's a, a blob that's cooler than average condi conditions there. Anyway, it, it is a um, sea surface temperature pattern that Again, is if we're talking about extremes um, before at the beginning of this, like it is, you know, it's record setting for for average global sea surface temperatures, particularly in the Atlantic Basin. So that is probably pay, playing some sort of a role with just its feedbacks on um, the atmosphere in some way. I, I I'm not smart enough uh, to figure out how so, and I'm not sure we have good ideas on. Uh, well, let me just little little add a add a point to that too, Zach. Is that this is? I remember reading a paper a long time ago. It was about the you know sea surface temperature anomalies and its its sort of impact on overlying weather. It's it's fairly limited, right? So sometimes the sea surface temperature patterns are actually a reflection of the weather patterns above it, rather than the other way around. Like the sea surface sea surface temperatures when they drive convection in unusual areas in unusual amounts that tends to cause the atmosphere to reorganize that's why we pay so much attention to, to el nino and then those sea surface temperature anomalies can emerge in other places not necessarily they can uh, they can emerge because of the overlying weather patterns rather than them forcing the overlying weather patterns does that make sense and this is why if you look at a map across the whole globe you can see warm everywhere, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that warm is driving the weather above it. It could be a reflection of the weather above it is driving the sea surface temperature. Patterns, right. Right. And it varies from season and place on what those forcing and feedbacks are. You know, it's like the the crazy temperatures in in Key West, Florida. Right. You know, like poking up to 100 it's probably more a reflection of it not it's been droughty and not raining there and they've had very limited tropical activity 
over it, which causes the, the temp, you know, that water just bakes in the sun. It's not getting turned over. It's not being cooled by cloud cover. It's not being cooled by, by rainwater. So that is more a reflection of the over, of it responding to the overlying weather patterns above it, I think. So do you have an analog for this year so far? Like you, you, I think you mentioned 97. Um, yeah, I mean, it was 20. We mentioned. You know, right. I'm the eternal optimist, right? So I was holding on to 97, 98 because it was, it had a lot going for it, I thought, because it was that transition from um, weak La Nina into strong El Nino over the summertime, very similar to what we're observing right now. And the forecast was for above average East Pacific uh, tropical storm activity, which absolutely happened in uh, summer of 97 and into fall of 98. And so I was holding on that we would have a pretty miserable July and that we would shift back into something kind of normal-ish in August. So that, so, so like, that's why I've been refreshing the forecast like every six hours to try to see if it's going to break and that we will get something in here, but it's not looking great uh, as of right now. My analog is already falling apart. So on the near, I, I, I did look at the eight to 14 day forecast and it's got a big, nice brown spot over our, our area which signals like increased chances for below average uh rainfall and then i i did look at the the models the north american multi-model ensemble um forecast for august and you know they're all not all all but one are calling for below average uh rain rainfall <laughs> the one the one that i keep looking at which is it is very different. Uh, it's not just slightly wetter, um, but it's it's got pretty strong wet signals. Is the Gem Five Nemo? And I, I actually don't know what that which one that is. Do you know which one that is? Uh, yeah. So it's either yeah. from the U.S. or Canada. Um, but I'm looking at the, the National Center for Environmental Prediction uh, (CFS) version two it has a dry signal, particularly over Mexico uh, and. Um, the border with Arizona, New Mexico, the Canadian CM4I model is, 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 is below average over Mexico and Southern Arizona, New Mexico, the GFDL geophysical fluid dynamics lab, um, has really, um, below average conditions painted for most of Arizona and New Mexico and, and Mexico. NCAR is just Mexico below. Uh, and NASA, NASA's all uh, basically all Arizona and, and and Arizona. So, so right, like consistency with the models. Um, you know, when you look at September, um, there's there's more variability. Um, you know, further out, further uncertainty anyway. But there's more uncertainty in terms of uh, what September may may bring. But yeah, it doesn't. You know, if if this is a year for me to follow the models, and I've been impressed. Uh, you know, I, boy, uh, I kind of hope your 97, 98 analog plays out, but, um, yeah, you know, so, this so be what, a 2020 if it doesn't, it, it could be bad. I mean, it could be, could be worse than 2020, 2020, actually in some of the statistics going forward, just looking at the, the time series anomalies here, it's, it's, it's not good. Like we, we ended up having a burst of activity in the last week of, 2020, uh, July of 2020 into the first week of August, which actually kind of like raised precip totals across the region. It's kind and of then similar to what happened here. Kind of. Yeah. This was much, 
shorter lived and much more yeah. confined to the um, parts of Arizona. New Mexico has just been absolutely in a terrible spot with this. So the the models for looking out in the next two weeks, we're on August 1st right now, they actually, the monsoon ridge disappeared into Mexico and it actually looked like fall. So that's Ooh. a bad sign because that's usually the end of the monsoon season. But you see, typically don't see that to the end of August. But I don't get this because like that position, I just, the, the position of the ridge and what controls it is, is flummoxing, right? Because like, yeah, it's still, you know, we're, we're at the height of like the summer, we're at the height of the insulation, like that should be driving sort of like pushing things, you know, it, it hasn't begun its sag. Maybe it, maybe it has begun its sag. It shouldn't, it, it yeah. shouldn't dynamically, you know, that, that sag is, you know, it's, it starts to exhaust itself and you lose the sun angle forcing as you get later into August, right? You know, you've, you've moved all sorts of convection through here and you the land feed, the land surface feedback start to weaken. So, you know, if we're losing that in the beginning of August, it means there's something bigger hemispherically and it's whatever it's causing this sort of wave train across the Northern hemisphere, all this activity to the North is firing up and kind of pushing on it a little bit. Um, again, this could change quite a bit, right? So I, the, the saving grace could be that we get um, a shift towards a more favorable kind of East Pacific subtropical uh, active period and that we start to get some storms that move towards the base of the Gulf of California. This will help Arizona out for the most part. Ridge position, if it gets in the right spot, it could drag in tropical activity. If the Atlantic and the Gulf of Mexico could actually you know, help New Mexico out. That's not off the table yet. It just isn't showing up in the models. And that stuff is really hard to see more than probably five days out anyway. So, you know, this is the, the eternal optimist saying, like, there's still a chance that we could get a widespread event or two in August. It doesn't seem like that's totally out of it. But it isn't in the cards for the large scale pattern that the forecasts are being made on right now. Yeah, I just think, like, given where we are now, you would have to have an epic July or, or September to claw back to a respectable, in aggregate, a respectable showing for, for, for the monsoon. I don't. Oh yeah. I, I think it's, I don't see in, that happening. Right. No, um, I don't either. I see this, this, this is going to be a problematic monsoon going forward in, um, you know, in, in the record books, close, close, maybe record. Well, we're in Tucson. It cannot be a record. Like it can't be in Tucson, right? That's right. It's so strange. It could be the yeah. third driest at the airport. Yeah. At the airport, it, it, it's yeah. I mean, I think you were you were you were talking about some of those um, climate perspective stations, and it, it's so interesting that there's a handful of stations in southeast Arizona. Well, it's two stations in southeast Arizona. There's um, San Simone, which is uh, on I-10 close to the New Mexico border, um, got some precipitation, 1.5 inches, and it's in its 40th percentile. And then, yeah, Tucson is, it's got two inches uh, and is at 52nd percentile. So isn't that crazy? Just just like that. Yeah. So I was actually, last night, um, I was looking at, in real time, I was looking at the airport station i was hoping for rain because i was like ah, i might creep up the leaderboard in the monsoon fantasy because you know most of my 
most of my bets were were uh, or forecasts for the five cities were uh, below average, but not not uh, not zero. And then and then I was fooling around today, and I was like, oh wow, like Phoenix Airport hadn't received any, you know, uh, Albuquerque hadn't received any. I I don't know what El Paso. I'm, I'm not looking at that one, but Flagstaff, like as you've mentioned, like the the five cities. Ha- Tucson is. Uh, is the uh, is the one that has a respectable amount of, of rainfall, but I'm I'm standing at a whopping 137th place for monsoon fantasy, Mike. Uh, wh- where are you? Uh, why did you bring this up? I I was I was like 114, which seems to be about where I come in on most years, anyways. And I think the drop to 238. Like I scored, oh, I, I scored. Yeah. yeah, I scored zero points for Tucson in July. And I, the, I think I, that's the only one I scored points on. <laughs> oh, man. I, I think I I can't remember what my forecast was. I think it was just an inch and we ended up getting two. And that was that was enough to knock me out. All right. Given what you know now, what do you think going forward? You can give away oh, what did, or, or what did you what were your bets? I, I'm guessing they were oh, for August. Forecast. Yeah. What, what are you thinking about August? I put everybody below median like much below or like just like a hair below no it was like it was like a hair below you know it was i I, you know i'm a climatologist right i've like even in a forecast for below average i feel like there's still all that central tendency that it's going to get something for all these stations there's no science behind this but i think the monsoons tipped its hand you know and you think so oh you think it's it's interesting that you bring up 97 because like I, in my mind, like I can't recall, I can recall where good starts flip to bad, but yeah. I, I can't recall very often where bad starts flip to good. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like 2009 was a, not a great monsoon, but it actually started off okay. And then it got worse. So this was. But that, but I can see that happening. Yeah, I know. Right. Like I just haven't seen bad that go to good. Sorry, I'm getting confused. No, I was trying. To, I was actually trying to think through some recent monsoons that had slow starts and they ramped up. What about 2017? Yeah, 2017 was good in July. It was, so but that, didn't it, did it start slow and then there was like a it didn't you know? I don't. I just no, remember that, that's your like favorite. Yeah, it's totally my favorite. Yeah, yeah, it's your favorite. And it wasn't even that slow because this was much slower, and the you know, we just haven't even had any like soupy mornings for the most part with a good Gulf surge here too. And again, it's like, it extends deep into Mexico and that's a huge problem. It's going to, and it's going to be a huge problem going forward. So our best chances are going to be tropical, I think at this point to get anything in. And it, that's still, I think on the table, given um, the ENSO situation that we've got right now too. So, so like that, but I think it's like a 20% chance of so us I'm, having something close to average for the Southwest now for me, August. Let me throw a few years out at you, see if you remember. Um, my, oh, monsoon historian. Uh, I'm looking at the traditional dew point definition, the dates of the traditional dew point definition. So the latest one was, and this goes through last year. Um, so the latest one was July 25th, 1987. You remember 1980? No. No, okay. I was in... Uh, I think I was in eighth grade. <laughs> I think you study these things at night, though. Well, I do. I actually, I yeah, I, I can't quite grab that one um, from the record books here. I wonder what 1987 was like. Um, 
2020 was actually the second latest start in Tucson at July 22nd for the dew point. Definition. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. But this, this year we came online at July 8th. So it's, yep. it's like, you know, it also says why the, the dew point isn't perfect. 2019 um, though yeah. was July 13th. So a late start. Did it flip to, do you remember 20, 2019? 2019, if I remember correctly, was not that terrible. Yeah, I remember it being kind of like average, but but which is which is good for you know such a late start. Although I'd have to look at the the the, the rainfall amounts. Maybe, maybe there was a couple sneaky storms that happened before that, even though the 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 dew points weren't uh, weren't above average. So it's not not a yeah. perfect. Sure. All right. Uh, what else, Mike? I think you know it's like <laughs> trying to trying to hold the tension of being in the middle of a bad monsoon without wanting to just race to talking about El Nino for the winter. Cause maybe it's like, that's our only hope at this point. <laughs> so no, I, I'm going to settle. I'm going to settle we got, in. We got August yeah. man. and September. We got August. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, just the forecast for the Southwest though, right now, it looks like the heat's going to return. It looks like it's going to dry out. It's going to become less favorable. So I'm an, unfortunately I'm worried that the first two weeks of July are going to look like the first two weeks of August are going to look like the first two weeks of of July again. So I'm holding out for just like a lot of noise in the models right now, holding out for tropical, tropical activity to ramp up and, you know, maybe give us some opportunities later in August. Um, but, you know, we run out of time really, really quickly in a good monsoon, you know, third week of August, we're already starting to look at more of a fall weather pattern, you know, settling in. So if, if the, if the models are pushing out two weeks with not a lot of activity, then proper monsoon activity is probably lost and we're really looking at tropical activity by that point. Yeah, July is critical. July is important. I like a I like a very active July. It's like August 1st is like the peak, right? It's like we should be in peak activity and you ride the roller coaster down from August 1st and dude. <laughs> I mean, hey, there. last night it certainly looked good, right? It just it's not It was beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I mean and that's the thing is is that there are parts of the state Arizona, not Arizona and New Mexico, that have done okay and have actually gotten quite a bit of precip. It's been very localized. New Mexico has not seen much. The northern part of the state has not much seen much. Phoenix has had, you know, has been within spitting distance of a couple of these storms, but it hasn't quite hasn't crossed the airport yet. Um, I had a really interesting conversation with a reporter today too, is just kind of asking about why the storms are so. We've had severe storms in Tucson for a handful of times now with destructive winds. And so it kind of made me think, it's like, yeah, this is what happens when you've got marginal moisture is that um, when you do have just enough moisture to get storms to pop up and there's a you know good enough cape with convective available potential energy, and there's a really, really deep dry sublayer between below these clouds is that these clouds will pop up you'll get um, rain falling out of them through a really deep dry sublayer and it'll turn into wind and it'll knock power poles over. So like this is kind of the, that perfect environment for wind, severe wind type. Uh, what about events. hail? I had hail. hail too. Yeah, the hail. I know I had a couple of questions about hail too. Um, it it must be that the, um, the cape has been- You have to go been, high, right? You have to go very, very high. Cool. Yeah, so you've got it. Well, you've got to have really good vigorous convection, right? So, so you've got to have tall clouds and vigorous convection. So, I think that the the ingredient that this has been really interesting is that 
the surface temperatures on the days that it's rained have been like 110 in Tucson. So that would be the convective temperature. And so if you, you know, you got to look at a skew T diagram at this point, but you can generate, you know, pretty decent cape with marginal moisture with this really, really deep mixed layer. I'm just as a jargon soup I'm throwing at you right now, but having those really, really hot temperatures can generate some instability in the atmosphere with that marginal moisture that then produces these really vigorous thunderstorms that have really strong outflows. Those really strong outflows can be enough to drive more thunderstorm activity. And so I think we've been in this just kind of rinse and repeat situation with strong winds, vigorous convection, lots of lightning, hail with these severe storms that have come through in a really marginal monsoon environment. You know, if you think about the previous two summers, when it gets super soupy, we can, it can be that too wet terrain like we've talked about. That's going to keep your temps down for sure. We haven't had that issue, but it's also going to limit the wind that's produced by these storms too. They're going to be heavy rainers. They're not going to be wind producers. So that's a, a really different flavor this year. Yeah, we had one, I think it was Friday, um, four days ago, um, five days ago, where I think we got like a quarter of an inch of rain and like probably 60, 65 mile an hour winds. Like I'm filming yeah. my neighbor's tree they're big. I saw, that was amazing. You, over. Yeah. Yes. I, I was like, looking out the destroyed window. Destroyed our fence. Yeah. To, right. My neighbor's fence got blown down. I was looking out the window and I just noticed that one of the giant pine trees is now like this in our neighborhood. So clearly these are dry microbursts, you know, kind of a hallmark of not a great monsoon moisture profile for sure. Um, one final thing, um, just to prelude the El Nino that is increasing and there is uh over mike a close to a 50 percent chance flip the coin now that el nino will reach like a strong uh oh, so it's gone up that, yeah that, it's gone up so there's yeah the october november december period you know um averaged over the a particular region there's a 52 percent chance that uh, average temperatures will be 1.5 C or, 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 or greater. Um, so, you know, we could, and then some of the models, like I, the average of the models looking at the uh, Columbia University's IRI has it in strong category, the average of them with a few of them actually um, um, in super strong category. So that's in play, I guess. Um, so we'll have to monitor that as as we go forward. But maybe we should yeah. uh, leave it at that, unless there's uh, other other moments you want to uh, to talk about. No, let's just uh, yeah, let's just try to hang in there for another month, see if we can get out of this. <laughs> okay, puzzling, puzzling, puzzling. puzzling and, yeah. And what was your word? Um, Funky and surreal. That's my <laughs> tricky. 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 Yeah, tricky. That's right. It's a tricky monsoon. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, as always, Mike, thanks a bunch. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening and our longtime producer, Ben McMahon, who I didn't uh, thank enough while he was here and our new time producer, who um, I'm going to thank every time, Stacey Reese uh, and everybody that listens. Uh, really appreciate uh, your interest. So uh, have a good August and we'll come back and 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 hopefully we'll talk about 97 being a good analog and we can lay to, to, to rest 2020 for, for at least another year. Oh, let's, let's, it sounds great. Zach. Spot on, spot on. Thanks everyone. All right. Bye-bye.
This speech is my recital. I think it's very vital to rock around. That's right. On top. It's tricky. It's so tight. Here we go. It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right. On time It's tricky. It's tricky. 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 It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right. On time It's tricky. 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 I met this little girly. Her hair was kind of curly. Went to her house and bust her out. I had to be real early. Say is please me or spend some time and rock around. I said it's not that easy. It's tricky 